This is the Live Your Edge podcast, episode nine. This is your host Gilbert Joa. My guest today is Bay Malogan, aka Beta Bay. Bay is an accomplished entrepreneur and international speaker. He has worked on multiple continents. Has been in Silicon Valley, Germany, Australia. And now Hong Kong. He currently manages the second largest hardware accelerator in the world, called Brink.io. Today, you will learn about how having both corporate and startup experience is beneficial for your career, as well as how to create a global brand for yourself. This is Gilbert. Welcome to the podcast. Let's get started with our guest interview with Beta Bay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Bay. Everyone calls him Beta Bay, and he's a very special guest.、Uh, he's been pretty much doing business all over the world.、He、started off in Apple, and he helped build the small business team to over 2,000 people and over one billion dollars. At, of revenue at Apple, he started three companies, failed two, exited one of them, and he started the second largest hardware startup accelerator in the world, called Brink.io. They have offices in over seven countries. He supported over 500 startups from 67 countries, serving on the board. So he's also an influencer for Huawei, one of the largest tech companies in China. He writes for the weekly column for Forbes, and he's also an international. Keynote speaker, having spoken at Web Summit, South by Southwest, and Rise in Hong Kong. Welcome, Bay. Thanks for having me, Bay. Why don't you share a little bit about your origin story? Because you mentioned that you've worked all over the world and、uh, have experiences in, on various continents. So the the big kind of like note about me as a kid, this is me. I think is really important for most people. Is there's really no. Kind of string you can tie back to see me as an entrepreneur. I was very fortunate to have you know a pretty rigid、uh, but positive upbringing. My mom was a teacher with three degrees in education. My father was a 31 year、uh, Navy captain, like career military. Every one of the guys in my family were military. All the women were educators. So. You know, not really necessarily entrepreneurial. You know, although they try to do their best,、um, it, it wasn't the kind of environment that I was brought up in. But I think there was always something that I noticed about myself. I love to be creative. You know, I loved. I ended up playing piano for many years, drums for many years,、uh, getting into film. I was a you know surfer my whole life. Like very, I guess I would say, you know, kind of、uh, right-brained individual, and. Uh, just had this kind of moment after、uh, I was probably my junior year of college. I had the opportunity that I kind of manufactured for myself to get a job with Apple when I was in college. They had this thing called the Campus Rep Program, which allowed you to work for Apple at your university or college, and you know, kind of just evangelize the products. And I took it pretty seriously.、Uh, ended up making the top five in the world for that program,、um, which gave me awesome access and you know, obviously quite a lot of motivation for a 20, 21 year old kid. And you know, just kind of got hooked in this idea that technology was going to be so profound, and that I actually could have you know a little part in that story. So I ended up driving 
cross country uh, one way ticket when um, I graduated my master's program, which I did right after undergrad and didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a job, uh, ended up sleeping on the couch, finding a startup uh, when I was 22, 23, when I uh, you know moved cross country. But it was really just a sort of like linear, like I'm just going west. I know there's something out here. I need to see what it is uh, and kind of leaving my two degrees in accounting, which I never, you know, practiced accounting a day in my life and um, just leaving that all behind and just kind of moving forward and not being really scared to do that. And I don't know um, if, you know, maybe other people kind of saw this in me, but for, for me, it was really just trusting my instincts. And I think I learned that fairly young is just, believing that, you know, whatever could go wrong isn't as bad as at least trying something. And so far, you know, that's taken me to living in Germany, living in Australia, living in Silicon Valley for almost nine years, and then now living in Asia and Hong Kong for five years. And, you know, like you said in my intro, having great successes, building the SMB division at Apple to failures and companies of my own and early stage companies that I've joined that we've lost to successes, companies that we exited, having small parts and, you know, unicorn businesses. And now, you know, what I feel, you know, I'm very proud of, you know, where I am in building Brink, um, my latest venture and certainly the largest thing um, that I've done at this, you know, kind of stage of my life where, you know, I, th- I think I have 52 investments, going to announce another probably 20 or some by the end of the year and and have the opportunity to work on what I think is really important, which is, connecting the physical world to the digital world, unlocking data and information, and then improving life in really profound ways. So that's that's the kind of uh, two-minute version. Wow, that's a very concise and very succinct uh, summary of uh, everything that's been going on, which is uh, a lot. You have uh, so many things that uh, we can all learn from. And you end up in Asia five years ago. So my question is, how did you end up with the idea of coming to Asia? I, I cannot take credit. Um, this very transparently, it was funny, I was just doing an AMA on fsuccess.com, um, which is like the largest platform for startups in the world today. And this story came up. And um, I was actually sort of at the end of my route in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, but I didn't know it. I was laying on the floor of one of my businesses, a film company um, that I took over for a while. And, and I was just sort of like listless or I didn't know what to do next. And I think I was 27 at the time, maybe 28. And, and I was just one of those moments where I was like, what did I do wrong? I mean, Silicon Valley had me so fired up. I was learning so much. I love this city. Like, why do I feel like this? And, you know, as I guess fate or serendipity has it, um, fortunately enough, my wife and I, uh, actually we dated in our senior year in college. We got back together again when we were 28, 29. And she had, you know, this fire of like, I need to go to Asia. I want to go to Asia. I'm going to regret it if I don't live and work in Asia for some serious amount of time. So it was never on my radar. Um, although, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much game for everything. So when she got the go ahead from her, um, her consultancy firm that we we're getting the transfer 24 hours later, we were packing up and selling everything we owned and we we're on our way. So and it wasn't my idea, but I, I wholeheartedly embraced it. Um, started going to factories, started going to conferences all over China and Southeast Asia as soon as I hit the ground, you know, here. Um, but it was one of those kind of funny stories that I don't think many people have. But the second, you know, you know this having you know been from Hong Kong, but the second I got on the bullet train from Hong Kong airport going into Central, I now lived here, and I had never been to Asia a day in my life. I had never seen this city. 
But, you know, here I was and it was time to make something of it. Wow, so it was just a very quick decision. Decided to, in, within 24 hours, start packing, move over. And you never been to Asia before that? Nope. <laughs> Not a day in my life. Wow. So I'm sure that there's a lot of... Uh, different uh changes or maybe cultural things that you had to adapt to as soon as you got there yeah it's interesting i i feel like if anyone i mean don't don't you know get it twisted here like being in hong kong is like like the fake china or like china light right like it's <laughs> it's like you might as well be in manhattan or london or any other kind of big city like it's super easy to get around certain yes of course it's packed of course it's super vertical it's hot it's steep it's a little grimy and gritty which i love but it, it really isn't hard you know if you're going to move straight to let's say any part of mainland China, or you can move straight to Indonesia or like places where there's like probably a larger um, like gap in terms of like your expectation of how you live in a city in the West. And like maybe what that looks like living in a city in the East, it wasn't that hard. Um, But some of the things that, you know, I learned, especially by going to do business in China right away was there was a lot of, I had a lot of misconceptions that I didn't know I had. And, and I think that that's something that's really, really important where I think a lot of people, a lot of people, I don't know, for whatever reason, like, I don't remember how this happened. I don't know if it was a book or it was the news or it was my parents or it was a combination of all these things. But, you know, I came to Asia super excited, but certainly had some weird kind of reticence in the back of my mind around China, but I didn't know what it was. And so, you know, the first time I went, you know, within a couple of weeks, I was already in a factory in China and I was having those kind of like, you know, thoughts and, and feelings and misconceptions kind of all front and front of my face, like having to deal with them, you know, like, how do I feel about what I'm seeing in the factories? How do I feel about how we're doing this transaction and this engagement? Like all these things I had to sort of just like, you know, grapple with quite rapidly. And I think a lot of the things that, you know, I still, I talk a lot about, like, these are some of my keynotes all the time I give about China is around, like, you have to recognize that there is no truth or universal ethics or right and wrong. And, you know, every country and every people decide to run themselves and and do what they have to do. And if you want to do business there, if you want to, in my opinion, learn about where the future is headed or like the Wayne Gretzky quote, like going where the puck is going, not where it's been or where it is. Like you need to learn to understand this region, specifically the culture of China, how to do business there, you know, what is important to them, both personally, culturally, as well as governmentally and kind of societally. And and I think that that's that's one of the things that I had to grapple with pretty much immediately. There's really no way around it is, you know, you had to deal with the fact that you're going to be super uncomfortable. It's one of sort of my you know, biggest piece of advice in people's career. And, and I think that, you know, either moving and or traveling to China uh, and Asia in particular, you know, is probably one of those things that I tell people should be top of your list. So one of the personal challenge I face is in my in the back of my mind, I know that eventually I'll be in China, like in mainland China, uh, not not in Hong Kong. But there's sort of like there's still some resistance to it i have i spoke to a few friends in the the us and some of them recognize that there's a advantage to being in asia particularly in china but they haven't really like they never went overseas before mm. unlike myself i've been in hong kong for 7 years but what advice would you give them some way they can overcome that barrier of coming to china cuz it's not like you said it's not as easy as uh, just transitioning in coming to Hong Kong, which is 
not exactly like China in, the, in many aspects. So, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm about to be 35. And so I've been, you know, in my career pretty full tilt. You know, I started my job at 21 for Apple. So, you know, I've been pretty much at it for 14 years. And that doesn't, it doesn't even seem like I've started in my, my mind, you know, like, I feel like I, I don't really know that much, but I, I feel like there's three patterns that I've seen that whether I knew them or not, when I was younger, I certainly recognize that they are critical and the success I've been able to create for myself thus far and something that I would love to help, you know, other people recognize. And, and the three principles are pretty easy. The first is that you have to bet longer than you ever have anticipated and certainly longer than what the media, your friends and family, Instagram, like all these things, these pressures are telling you and kind of like, I don't know, just kind of convincing you subconsciously that the game is short term. Like our life, our careers are incredibly long term. And it takes a long time to generate any real success in terms of, you know, monetary, which might be optionality for you. So the ability to have money, like for me, my Apple stock during those during my 20s did really well and paid for a lot of my life. Or it could be building your own business. It could be working for a corporation and just saving up or whatever it might be. You're building your own, you know, your own startup or e-com business, whatever. But you you should certainly be thinking in longer terms than what your friends are, what your parents are telling you to do, what the media is doing, and certainly what all the kind of social media bullshit is convincing you, like, you know, Ray Raw, like get rich now kind of bullshit. Like the game is long bet longer than ever before. Don't bet on the current trend. So for me, that has meant betting on IoT, which is a silly word, but Internet of Things really just means how do you connect the physical world with sensors, you know, extract information and data, and then add new value, unlock information, and hopefully improve the world. And what I'm seeing this is I, I had to make this bet and I figured, huh, I was 30 when we started Brink. And I figured, okay, how long is this going to take versus other trends? You know, we have Things like blockchain, really cool now, going to be gone tomorrow. You have AI, really cool now, going to be normal tomorrow. You had like the Uber and Airbnb of everything was non-existent when I moved to Silicon Valley, and now it's everywhere and everyone expects it. So these trends are like under 10 years. There's a great quote that always says, we overestimate the change that will happen in one to two years, and we always underestimate the change that will happen in 10. So we're really bad at recognizing just how much can change in a decade, but we are equally as bad at predicting like so much is going to change in just one to two years. So for me, betting on how long is it going to take us to connect every physical part of the world to the internet, I was like, okay, well, I'm probably going to die and that's still not going to be done. So everything I do at 30, at 35, at 45, at 50, at 55 means I'm going to be more and more and more and more effective and competitive versus people that are jumping on trends that are going to disappear in five or 10 years. So that's, that's the first one is betting long. And I can't iterate that enough because it's hard conceptually. And anyone that's young, even you know, when I was in my twenties, I wouldn't have known what you meant. <laughs> so just take it, take it for me. If you can try to internalize that. The second one is be uncomfortable, which another way, depending on whether your viewers are PC or not, like what I say by being uncomfortable is fucking move. <laughs> and like, that means like just one simple thing, put yourself in a culture or in a position to continually be uncomfortable. And I heard, I heard a quote, I can't remember where it was, but I really love it, which was 
like today and age is today is a terrible time. Like the worst strategy ever is to be comfortable. Like to be stuck in your ways today has got to be the dumbest execution of strategy you could ever, ever deploy. Because we all know that technology and innovation is moving at a pace where some you know, people will tell you it's even impossible for humans to conceive the pace of change that we're currently at. Like we're actually at an inflection point in the curve where it's beyond human comprehension. So everything that you're learning in school is going to be generally worthless. I actually believe in some of the predictions that a lot of schools are going to be bankrupt in the next 10 years and are going to be super obsolete. I think that there are so many of us that find ourselves in these comfort little, comfortable little zones like near our home and our family and friends or you know, in the normal big city, only one state away from where we grew up or whatever it is. But I can't say this enough. Like the new normal is you being uncomfortable, you having to learn, unlearn, and relearn the rest of your life. I've just found that one of the best hacks having moved to Germany, then having moved one-way ticket to Australia, moving, driving across country one way to San Francisco, then moving one-way ticket to Asia. Like th- this has sort of forced me to be in this perpetual state of you know being comfortable, being uncomfortable, which I think has given me a big, big advantage. And then the third one is being flexible. This goes back to the China point. So the concepts that you were brought up with in your family, you know, they're generally rooted in the cultural norms of your family, your neighborhood, could be religion, could be the country you live in, whatever it is. But those are only one set of beliefs. They're only one set or ways of doing business. There's only one way of looking at the world. So for me, coming to China was this big aha moment, and I realized, okay, there are so many degrees of gray And there's so many ways to do a deal and to do business and to look at the world that I never was exposed to, even in, you know, Europe or Australia or North America, East Coast or West Coast where I lived. Um, So for me, that concept of I came here with a fairly rigid Western, you know, perspective on the world and one of the hardest yet what I think now is one of my biggest competitive advantages that I've learned is that I just need to be much more flexible and open minded in terms of how things can get done culture, you know, norms, ethics, the whole thing. So just, just to kind of reiterate, like the three kind of hacks or the kind of career advices or personal advice I give everyone is to bet longer than any, any time you've ever thought of before, like bet longer than everyone around you. Just get uncomfortable, which generally means moving and putting yourself in a deeply uncomfortable and different situation. And then the third one is around being as flexible as you possibly can and open-minded to different ways of just about everything, which I think will probably you know, be more of a function of number two. If you actually put yourself into a position to be truly uncomfortable, you won't really have a choice you know, <laughs> other than to be flexible. Otherwise, you're just going to run home. Yeah, definitely. In terms of long term, we're talking 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, time frame, right? Maybe even longer. Yeah, I mean, look, everyone has different parameters, right? So if you come out of college, you have a shit ton of student debt, you have a you have to be short term, like you've got to get that debt paid off. Like there's nothing worse. Like there's there's no dumber strategy than carrying debt long term. So like, especially student debt, it's like the worst type, especially at least in North America. So like you have a different, you know, different options than someone who doesn't have student debt. Like I came out with no student debt. So I had different options. I could bet in a very different, you know, like field than someone else. Or if, you know, let's say 
you don't have student debt and you have, you know, let's say, uh, I don't know, you got to take care of a loved one at home, like you have an older family or whatever it might be, your options are going to be different. However, you have to be doing something long term, whether you're just saving what you can save, you know, putting a little bit aside, whether it be betting truly like far out, you know, and I had that flexibility and autonomy to have done that both with my time at Apple and plus, you know, my wife as my partner supporting during the early days when we were building my company and, you know, obviously everything had to go in and I couldn't pay myself for many years. Like you, you have different options depending on your situation in life. But, um, I think a lot of people just get stuck focusing on like the next 12 months or the next six months, the next two years. And, and while, Sometimes you have to get really short-term oriented just to make some things happen and, you know, get over some humps. The the people that are trying their best to think long-term are going to be the ones that have those breakout opportunities because they can actually see them when they're coming. And they've set themselves up to actually capture the opportunity once they see it. Wow, amazing, uh, amazing way to put it. There's a lot of young people these days, millennials uh, in Asia, Hong Kong, oh, even in the U.S., and they come out and they, they, they're sort of, uh, in Hong Kong, there's a lot of pressure from society pressure to go and get a stable job, pay the bills and listen to the parents. For them, it's it would be quite difficult to sort of uh, see the long term. But what you're suggesting is really to just put yourself out there and just to jump, buy that one-way ticket and don't look back and naturally you'll adapt to comfortable with being like you said uncomfortable well yeah and i think i think it's important to like like i know that the word self-awareness is probably overused and probably sounds contrived but you need to also listen to yourself like this whole idea of being an entrepreneur is so fucking sexy right it's it's really not like i can tell you firsthand been in this role most of my life like it's a roller coaster and while there are some good days there's equally as many, if not worse, bad days. Um, I just, you know, like to work for myself. I like to be kind of like my, my mom used to say, uh, the Pied Piper used to like, just like, you know, like to run around and just listen to my own tune, do my own thing. But I think it's important, you know, if you are not the type of person that loves to take risk or the types of per- type of person that like really gets excited about the idea of being uncomfortable and like jumping on a plane, moving to Asia or Africa or South America or somewhere that's like truly different or the Middle East, like, then, then recognize that, right? Like, and that's okay. Like you may not have the same aspirations that I do, you know, and that's totally fine. But I think that the thing that I think is frustrating is when I see a lot of people that aspire and they want so many things out of life, but they aren't listening to themselves or they aren't willing to do what it takes. And, and I think that that's just important to kind of recognize like your aspiration has to be matched with your ability to push yourself. And it's okay if, you know, those are lower or higher, but they need to be in sync. Like you can't have one super out of whack with the other. Yeah, that's that's completely true. I think that's sort of the tipping point between the aspiration, I mean, aspiring to do something and then uh, taking action and, and putting together a plan for, for making it a reality. I, I know you already mentioned a, a lot of uh, great, great uh, tips, but in your exp- in your various uh, experience across uh, you know, many different many different fields, what type of career optimization advice would you give to someone in their twenties right now that either they have started their first business or they are thinking about starting their own company or they started the company and they are trying to grow it? I think one thing that I would not have known had I not done both that I really recommend 
is getting early stage or small startup or, you know, small to medium business experience. And then also super large corporate experience. And the reason I say that is, so I got fortunate enough that the very first startup that I joined, you know, I was 22, 23 when I moved to San Francisco, small company, I think at the time we were like seven, 10, whatever it is. Um, and we ended up going bankrupt in a year, you know, which was its own crazy ride. But I got a lot of experience doing a lot of different things because I was young, fired up. And as a small company or startup, you have to do lots of different things. So, you know, I was building new product. I was selling product. I was doing customer service sometimes. I was traveling a bunch, like all these different things that you just had to do. And that allowed me to recognize not only am I capable. So it's sort of that like after college litmus test or trial by fire of like, okay, you think you're good. You've sort of been in this holding pattern and like safe place for a long time. Like even though I was at Apple in college, like it was still kind of a safe job. But now it's like, cool, you're getting real salary, you have real responsibility, fucking make it work. <laughs> and so I realized a lot of things I wasn't good at. I learned a lot of things that I was good at, but it was real world and I overall came out super confident, like, okay, I can do this. That, that gave me the confidence to join the next startup as the first employee with his two brothers, later sold it. Uh, but then, I, I mean, I was so lucky that I went back to Apple a second time, not really knowing. It was more because the 2008 recession was hitting and you know, it kind of seemed to make sense. I had income coming from two startups and that didn't really make sense Like as like a bet. I was like, well, this is a pretty bad time <laughs> to like, be betting on only startups. I should probably have my hand in another you know, pie to kind of stabilize this a little bit. And... I look at so many founders because I mean, I, I sit on a bunch of their boards and I have, you know, supported and mentored so and invested in so many of these young guns that come out and they start their companies at 23, 24, whatever it is. And they never get that experience because everything, their whole lives, their whole identities are tied up in this early stage business. And some of them, you know, somehow just thread that needle and they're able to learn and mature and grow without having had the corporate experience. However, the majority of founders, and I don't care whether you're like selling hats or you're, you know, building a huge business, like I just find that the vast majority of early stage entrepreneurs that don't also have some corporate experience, they they lack insight to efficient operations, talent development and scale like systems, like growing a business in a structured way that is absolutely critical when any stage of your, your business starts working. And, and the unfortunate part is I see a lot of them fail at it. I see a lot of them be unwilling to understand that they're not good at these things. And it's just unfortunate because a lot of them can't recognize it because they've never been in an environment where those things work really well. And I always say that, you know, my second time at Apple, I'm, I'm so fortunate for not because you know I did well and it went well for me, but also because I got to see what sort of perfection at scale looked like. And I could have never in a million years gotten that somewhere else. And I could have never in a million years had that experience in my own business. There's not a chance in hell, you know, my business will ever have the resources of that company. And, but I'll always now know what it takes, what it looks like, how to do it and what to aspire to be. And I think that having both sides of that coin, um, but in that exact order, Getting early stage startup experience, whether you're the founder or whether you're employee 5, 10, 15, but then getting big business experience and then having both of those, you know, sometime in your 20s and 30s, I think is a really killer set of skills for you to you know, kind of hit the next part of your life. Oh, that's amazing advice. For me, I only got that uh, early startup experience working in uh, several startups in the past, but I never 
when I graduated, I never went into the corporate environment. So having those, I can understand why the those systems are crucial to uh, growing a business. What type of mistakes have you made in the past? Do you feel we can all learn from related to running a company? I mean, this could be the, the whole podcast. <laughs> um, so... I think the first is to recognize that you're going to make mistakes. Like that's the hard part. And I think when you're young, you don't believe that. And I and I can certainly look back at probably so many of my experiences in my 20s where I thought I was doing the right thing when I just clearly wasn't. And I probably also didn't want to recognize that. And that's okay. You know, like we all kind of get that, you know, perspective at whatever stage in life. And so I think a couple, a couple of easy ones. So the first one is not recognizing the power of money early. I was really fortunate um, because generally speaking, I've always been able to generate income and I've never you know, had a problem finding the next thing that I need to do to make things work. And I've also never been scared of money. You know, was, I've, I've saved money since I was, I think I got my first job at 12 or something. And I've, I've been, you know, making money most of my life. And I think that that's something that I wish looking back, I learned this really from my wife is that I wish I had saved more and invested more earlier. I mean, I did really well in the stock market. I started in uh, college and, you know, put it into Apple and Microsoft and, you know, essentially smashed it like out of the park, you know, when I was like 19, but then I spent it, you know, and then I built it up again and then I spent it. <laughs> and so I think it's, it's something that I think, again, that number one point long-term thinking, I think that's really tough because everything in our face right now is like short-term, 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 like buy a watch, go on a trip, blow your cash. Like, it, no one's saying like, oh man, it's awesome. I got 12% return on my savings this year. Like that's not a, you don't see that on Instagram, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> I think I think that that's something to just think about generally is like money compounds. And I know that seems like too technical, but like I can't say that enough to people is I did fine. I am doing fine. I've always done quite well, but it's it's something to recognize early that money gives you options, fucking period. Hmm. And and I hate that money is that way. I've never been into money. I won't ever care if I had three zeros at the end of my current number or five or one or the same. Like, I don't care. I never will. I just it's never been a part of my life that I've really thought too much about. But it's it gives you options, period. If you don't have it, you don't have options. If you have it, you have options. That's it. And I think that a lot of people are living hand to mouth and they aren't willing to make the short-term sacrifices to put themselves in a position to not only have the life that they think they want, but then also just frankly having options for things when things go wrong. You know, most of you, you know, most people in their 20s probably don't have life insurance or don't have health insurance because who wants fucking life insurance? Who wants health insurance? You know, I don't know that. I'll save the money, you know, and then someone goes wrong and you're in deep shit or a friend or a family member needs something or you have the option to invest in a company or invest in a house and you don't have it. Like, it's just unfortunate, but it's so true. And I wish I wish more people in their 20s knew that. Um Probably on the other side is, frankly speaking, like this whole concept of being an entrepreneur, like I felt pressured into being an entrepreneur when I started my first company when I was 24, I think. Um, I, I was doing it because I thought I was supposed to. I was in Silicon Valley. Everyone was talking about it. And you can imagine like, God, I'm what? So that was like 10, 11 years ago. So it was like 2007, 2008. You can only imagine now it's 10 years more of that hype cycle, right? Of like how fucking cool it is to be an entrepreneur and unicorn this and unicorn bullshit that. Like everyone is an entrepreneur, right? Mm. Well, you know they aren't. They just think they should be. The reality of the game is that people just want independence. But most people don't have what it takes to be their own boss, to manage their own time, 
to take on payroll, to sacrifice, to eat shit, as Gary Vee always says. Like this is this is just hard damn work. And everyone, it's like very much this whole social media version of ourselves. Like everyone only shows you the happy days. You know, you never see like the seven days a week. Like I, I generally try to put this in my Instagram stories so people know it's like, hey, it's Sunday night at 9 p.m. and I'm still in the office. Like that's the reality. And I think that a lot of people like don't recognize that it's okay to not be an entrepreneur. It's okay. It's actually statistically more likely that entrepreneurs in their 50s are twice as likely to succeed as entrepreneurs in their 20s and 30s. And the average age, this just came out as an MIT report this year, the average age of an entrepreneur is 37. So the, the concept that you're supposed to be doing this when you're young is stupid. Now, that doesn't mean, like, I believe that your currency in your 20s is you should be getting as many experiences as humanly possible. You should be recognizing that the currency you have is those insights, that education, the access, not the cash, hard cash in your bank. Like, you should be saving some, but you should make sure that you're recognizing your currency is learning. Now, you're going to end up really cashing that in your 30s and 40s and 50s, but I think that a lot of people, like, and I hate this about this narrative is that people look at like, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. And what I see is that there's this whole generation of people that are perpetually poor. And, and I know a lot of these people, a lot of these are like friends of mine, people that are chasing a dream time and time again. And I'm like, dude, like you don't have any money. Like you're not saving, like you're 32 now, now you're 34. Like what the fuck? Like you've been like, at some point you've got to turn it around. And and it's okay. Like if you can just blow cash and you don't have to worry about it, great. But like, I really think that people need to take a breather and recognize that like most people don't start like their entrepreneurial career until their late thirties and that every next decade, you're far more likely to hit the idea that you can really succeed in when you have more experience, more connections, you have some capital to put in it. You built a little buffer, like you have some life experience behind you. You're so much more likely to hit the one that wins later than earlier. So I think those are two of the big, the big kind of points that I wish, you know, I had known earlier is the power of money and how critical it is to optionality and that it's okay to not be a founder early. Like I just, fish, I feel like both of those were, were kind of lost on me in my twenties. I think uh, those, both those uh, mistakes uh, could be, uh, we can say is pertaining to uh, patients like Gary V said, right? Mm, and yeah, Definitely. Definitely having the patience to hold it off on it a bit. I remember. Yeah, don't buy the watch. Don't buy the extra, the extra nice shoes. Don't you know all those little things that add up? You know. Yeah, and it's sort of time. Sometimes it's like taking. It's being humbled in in a way. I mean, when I first started my first company, I thought you know I was doing something in uh, home automation during college. I had no idea about anything about home automation. <laughs> with these gadgets and I thought it was going to be easy but you know long story short it was it was far from that and I think having the patience to invest in yourself continually and learn uh, from others that have been there and done that the way to go in in the 20s to bring this to a full circle one of the questions I've always uh, wanted to ask you babe was you sort of build a global brand for yourself so how can somebody go from they started you know locally how can they build a personal branding is a uh, super important now and in the future how can one build their brand identity and like and how do you do it i think it's funny i, I was having this conversation recently like i don't remember 
where I heard this, but I remember when. So I think it was a junior or sophomore in college, and I heard this concept of you are your you are a brand. And that was, you know, that would have been what, 2003 or something. And I, I just remember thinking like that makes so much sense. Like I totally get it. And then when I thought about it, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> but like I knew like that that spoke to me. You know, I was like, yes, that makes sense. What to do about it, no damn clue. And I was lucky because when I got into that Apple program, you know, when I was a uh, junior and then, you know, started when I was a senior, I was around people that were like really pushing me and they were forcing me to think like, how can you stand out in the pile when you have resumes? Like, how can you start getting the word out about who you are? And that's when I got on LinkedIn, you know, that was like crazy. Like back then that was so boring, but now I've got almost 20,000 connections on LinkedIn. So it's, and it's like one of my most powerful platforms. And so it's, it's one of those things where I didn't know it, but I just started. I was one of those people that's like, oh, like Twitter comes out, sign up. And like, oh, Facebook was on, like, let's try it. Or like, hey, like whatever the new thing, it's like, okay, I'll just try it. And I, I think while I didn't really go all in on this, and I, you know, you look back at like the compounding ability like content gives you um, in terms of reach and awareness, like I only really got serious about this, I would argue, um, probably like two years ago. And so that puts me in like 32. And, and one thing that I really realized is that we are building my company's brand, Brink. And I actually found, you know, that's a big part of my role. And I was actually struggling trying to figure out how do I build a corporate identity? Because I never had to do that before. And so I realized like, okay, well, I think I can hack it. I think it can, I think it's more comfortable and easier for people to speak to an individual than talk to a brand. Because when you like reach out to like contact at Brink.io or like, you know, our Twitter handle, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to my co-founders? Are you talking to some support staff? Are you talking to some outsourcer? Like who, like, who is that versus, oh, I'm talking to Bay. Like that, that just seemed like logical to me. And so what I started doing was I, I, I had this, it's weird. I, I didn't really see this coming, but I, I think one thing that I've learned is that you have to pick a medium that feels genuine to you. Like I only write because I know people like to read. I hate writing. Like before this interview, I was writing my weekly Forbes column and like, Love the team of Forbes, personally hate writing my column. So um, I just do it because I know a lot of people read like, you know, columns and contribute articles and blogs or whatever else. But I kind of stumbled into the fact that I really liked video. And it came from this, like, and then one of those silly little platforms that come and go, but it was this platform called Whale, uh, which is a company by Justin Kahn, the founder of Twitch and, you know, uh, Justin.tv and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't more around for than like a year or something, but anyways, it was a Q and a platform. You answer questions and then, you know, you like someone asks you a question and then you respond with the video. And I quickly became like a feature personality, like rapidly, like in a couple of weeks and started getting crazy amounts of views. And then like people started messaging me from all over the world. And I was like, Holy shit, this is crazy. And doing you know, Q and a, that's it. Just Q and a. So on which channel again? It was called Whale, but it's gone now. It's it's dead, but it was like its own app. And the, I mean, a lot of people try to spin out and then like copy it. I don't think it even really lasted. And I tried a couple, um, like Llama was a copycat and then another one. And anyways, I don't think it even really ended up working out. But the, the, the thing that I'm trying to get to there is like, I recognize that building a personal brand is important just generally, like cutting through the attention of the internet, no matter whether you're trying to get a job, you're trying to sell a product, you're trying to like 
get people to donate to a cause because one of your friends or family members is going through something tough. Like getting attention is fucking hard. And it is a critical skill in this day and age, no matter whether you're 50 and you're in a big corporate and you're like a, you know, partner at a law firm, whether you're 21, you know, coming out of college, like the ability to capture and generate awareness and attention using the internet is paramount. Um, for me, a big part of that was finally just stumbling into my natural medium because I was trying to write blogs for a long time. It never felt like it was fine. Never really blew up. I saw my, some of my friends writing other articles that were like, I thought where I was equally as good at, but just weren't really taken off. Cause I don't think it was natural for me. And then this random Q and a app that none of you have ever heard of, you know, came on, I smashed it, did really well at it and then decided, okay, like video is my thing. So when I saw the Facebook live button come up for like in the first couple of weeks, I just hit it one day walking to work and I got like a thousand views like on the way to work. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how's, how's this? Like, what is, I was like, what is this? And then I was like, okay, well, so I started doing Facebook live and then people started asking me questions. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, just replicate what Gary Vee does. And you know, his is, you know, ask Gary Vee. So I do ask Bay to Bay. And so I've been doing this for like two plus years now. And it's crazy, man. Like I'll, I'll go talk in a conference in Belarus or Kazakhstan, or I'll go be in New York or I'll be in Berlin or Paris or wherever I go. And I'll meet people that have asked me questions and I'll be like, Hey, I asked this question. They're like, Hey, I read this. I'm like, Holy crap. That is gnarly. Like I can't, I can't get my head around how that works. Like I look at my audience, I go, I'm considered a micro influencer. That's why people like Huawei and others like sign me up. So like I have like 50,000 in my audience and then I get hundreds of thousands of views in my Forbes thing. But like, it's, it's not like I have a big audience, but I have like a subject matter expertise where people really trust me. Like if you look at like my, you know, authenticity scores on, uh, on Twitter, I think I'm like 99.6 authentic following, like oh, I'm wow. off the charts. And so it's, it's not like I care how the numbers. It's just that people are willing to listen and follow because I'm genuine. I share what I know. And that's, that's actually one of the things that I wish more 20 year olds or 30 year olds, or even actually like 60 year olds would realize is that it, it's not about how cool you are. It's not about like, can you get that super sick snap or like get that Instagram filter just perfect. It's not about that. People follow people that are genuine. They just want real. And I think that a lot of people don't give themselves credit for things that they know. So like podcasts and what you're doing is a great way to learn, but also give yourself a platform by connecting to people that maybe have, you know, larger or different audiences than you, but then also share your little experiences and learnings. You know, even though you're younger in your career than me, I can learn from you just like we can all learn from somebody who's in their sixties. And I think so many people are scared to find their voice and just recognize like everything you've been through in your life is something that someone else doesn't know uh. or that even one person could benefit from. That's why I always like push people in their twenties. Like you need to be mentoring people. I'm like, who do I mentor? I'm only 22. I'm like, yeah, but mentor someone who's 21. Like, <laughs> you know, you have one more year experience, right? Like, like don't overthink it. Like there's always someone that can benefit from what you know and your experiences or your access. So like, just try to find a medium that is genuine or feels genuine to you. And there's only like what three. So like, right. Do video or do audio. Um, well, I guess you could like draw. So maybe there's four, but like there's like, but like there's, there's very finite ways to test this out. So it shouldn't take you like 10 years to figure this out about yourself. Find out a medium that makes sense. Also consistency is king. Super critical. I put out ask Bay to Bay content Monday to Friday. 
every single week always have for like many couple of years now um whatever you pick as your medium stick to it the internet is short term you have to just chip away at it piece by piece that's why i do the weekly column for forbes again don't like writing but it's super powerful and i just like eat my vegetables and just get my shit done because i know it's good for me so um I think that those those couple of points, you know, take being an influencer or take your personal branding and the ability to generate awareness and an audience uh, in the internet or on the internet is really serious. Like you need to start it and like there's no time like today. Find a medium that feels authentic. There aren't that many. So don't make excuses. Just fucking try it. Figure it out. Uh, and then be super consistent with whichever, whatever feels good. And don't even look at the numbers for like two years. Like it won't matter. Don't try to make money on it. Just do it because I promise you the opportunities are going to come in, are going to trump any short-term money you can make by like ads or a little product placement or whatever it is. Like it's, it's far more important to be genuine. That's amazing. Like this interview is uh, exceeded my expectations because there's so much value that's learnings that uh, our audience can take away. We're sort of coming to the conclusion of our podcast today. Any last words that you'd like to share with our audience? I just feel like, do your, do your best to be true to yourselves. Like try to get a sense of like what really matters to you. Put yourself in a position to have options. Don't believe all the bullshit you read. Don't, you know, try to fight the pressure of all the social media crap that's out there. Like the game is long. Try to find things that, you know, are worth working on that make you happy. That can generate some money. Um, always feel comfortable to ask for help. You can always use me, just hashtag AskBetaBay. I will 100% of the time answer every single question. If it's urgent, just say it. My team will pop it at the top of the list. It's not urgent. We'll, we'll chew through it in the queue Monday through Friday. Um, but just zoom out three points again. Just bet long term. Get uncomfortable and try to be as flexible as you can. And if uh, people want to find you, I know you mentioned your hashtag. Is there any other channel that uh, you prefer? You mentioned LinkedIn as well. Yeah, yeah. Like LinkedIn is more professional for me. If you want to be more personal, just hit me up at, at Bay to Bay on Twitter. Um, that's probably the fastest way. I check that pretty frequently. Or Instagram, uh, which is just Bay to Bay with the number one. Whoever has the normal Bay to Bay, let me know. I need that handle. Um, but um, yeah, th- those are probably the two easiest ways. But feel free to hit me up on a, you know any of the the different profiles. It's fine. Awesome stuff. Thanks for coming on to the show. No worries, bud. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can find more episodes every Tuesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe for more updates as they come. Until next time.